Well, again, good morning. It's so, so good to be here with you this morning. I always love when we're singing a song and it actually feels like what we're saying. Like when we're singing a song that says, there's joy in the house of the Lord, and we're here and it's kind of like, is it joyful or is it, I had to get up out of bed on Sunday morning. But when we are singing it and it truly is in our spirits, there is a difference. And I do believe that there is joy in the house of the Lord this morning. And I believe that there is reason for us to thank God today, many reasons. And so praise God for his goodness, praise God for his grace and for being here with us as we gather today. But the good news is even when we don't feel joyful and even when we don't feel thankful, God is still here and God is still good. Thank you. I appreciate that. Will you join me in prayer as we turn our attention now to the word of God? Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. God, I thank you for this time and this place and these people, the chance that we have to come together to look at your word, Lord, to consider what it means, not just uh, for times gone by, for days gone by, Lord, but for this moment, for this hour, for this day, and for our lives. So God, I pray that you would speak to us clearly over the next few moments, Lord, that, that you would calm me, Lord, and that the excitement and adrenaline would tone down just a little bit, and that you would be with me that I might cl clearly communicate the message you've laid on my heart for this week. And Lord, that you would draw us together by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What is one of the most anticipated and hard-earned lines in modern American cinema? It took 10 years and 20 movies, totaling just shy of 50 hours of running time, to develop and when it was finally revealed, it created audible cheers in theaters across the United States and around the world. And rather than just explaining it to you, I'm going to show it to you this morning. Everyone, like you wanted more. 
assemble. So there is the line. And, and for some of you, it may mean nothing. And I apologize for the difficulty with the screen. The Lord was not cooperating this morning. But the line may mean nothing to you, and it's easy for us to get lost in all of the mythology of it, and we could argue about a million things, but I don't want us to miss the point because I think it's important for us to more, this, this morning. The, the line that I wanted us to catch was right there at the end, and, and it, it's a, a line that's very central to the Avengers mythology, right? People have been waiting for it since all of the Avengers movies started happening. They have been waiting for Captain America to, to deliver that two-word line for ten years. And finally, in the last battle, in the last movie, as everyone is finally, all of these individual superheroes, right? Earth's mightiest heroes who realized very quickly that they could not do it on their own or even in small pockets, that they needed each other. Finally, they all come together, and rather than going their own direction and doing their own thing, they are finally coming together and coalescing as one group, and Cap delivers the line, Avengers, assemble. Oh, it's so great. You got to love it. That finally they're going to do what, 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 what was, they've been building up to for all of these different movies, all of these different people with these amazing abilities. They needed each other. And it's a, a lesson that is presented both early and often in the pages of Scripture. It's a lesson that's important for us as humanity. And the lesson is this. We need each other. None of us were designed to do life alone. It's, it's actually the one thing, and I've referenced this before, and I'll probably come back to it again, because we need reminded. The one time in creation when God looks at what he's created and he says, oh, that's not good. Now understand something. Theologically, we know that God wasn't surprised, right? That, that when God looks at creation and he's looking over all of the goodness that he's made, it's not that God looks and goes, oh, man, totally slipped my mind. I, I forgot something here. God didn't forget anything. You know why God says it is not good for man to be alone? It is, and let's be clear. This is not man gendered, the, the man alone. That This is intended to communicate for all, it's a principle for all of humanity, right? It is not good for mankind to be alone. That is not God recognizing his mistake and saying, oops, it's not good for this, me, I've got to fix this. As a matter of fact, it's the other way. It is God saying that for subsequent generations, mankind, men and women, brothers and sisters, it is not good that we should be alone. Not, not, not just in, in the marital sense. That's, let's not get lost on it. It is relationally. We were not designed or created to do life solo. We need other people. And we see that very clearly within the early church as well. And if we might, uh, and throughout the, the Old Testament as well, and, and if we might, we could paraphrase from that line in the movie. If we paraphrased it, we might say, people of God, assemble. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the need for relationship, the need for community and connection. And I want to end by looking at different ways where we're trying to make that available to you that we hope you'll consider how God might be leading you to assemble with other believers so that you're not doing this alone. We're going to start in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 
And we're going to read just two passages that are summary, and then we're going to look at some other passages that help develop it and bring it back together, okay? So we're starting in Acts 2, 42 through 47. And it says this, they, being the disciples, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now I want you to keep your finger there for a second, and we're going to read the other summary passage that we're going to consider this morning. And don't turn me off as soon as I read the passage. I'm not going to say what you think I'm going to say, okay? In Hebrews, let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having a heart sprinkled to cleanse them from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. And these passages are actually linked. We, we, we sometimes separate them out because they're in different books. But it is believed that the Hebrews 10 passage is in reference to that Hebrews 2 passage. That, that within 60 years, they had gone from meeting every day to finding reasons to not meet. So the writer of Hebrews is, is pointing them back to what Luke has encouraged them that, or, or noted. That we need to keep meeting together. Now... That's the overarching theme that we get about the church in the New Testament. If there's one thing that we see beyond the the efficacy and the importance of the shed blood of Jesus and salvation by grace through faith, it is that community is a foundational feature of the Christian life. That coming together, being together, moving from a me to a we, becoming a us matters. Community is a foundational feature of the Christian life. The church is more than a building to which we go. That's one of the things that we struggle with in our our modern mentalities and the way that we think. We think that, that church is a building. But even if we get beyond that, we think of the church as being just our people in our building. But the fact is the church is all of the churches meeting in the community of Seymour and beyond today. That there is a big C church that moves beyond the, the, the small group of people that are assembled here to the whole of the body. And seeing the we as the broader body of, the, of, of, of Christ is important. The church is more than a building to which we go or buildings to which we go. It is what we become together. It is what we become together. 
Now the word used for church many times in, in the New Testament is the word ecclesia. Everyone say that word with me. Ecclesia. We see that word here in, in Acts and a few places, and, and we see it back in Matthew. We'll look at that in a second where Jesus talks about the coming of his church, his ecclesia. The word literally means, given our message, anyone want to guess what the word means this morning? I'm sure you've heard it before. Say it. I heard it. Assembly. The assembly. Church literally means, has within the meaning of the name, assemble. How convenient is that? The word is derived from another Greek word. The word is ekaleo, which means to call out from. Quite literally then, the church is those who are called out from the world to assemble together as the people of God. The church is those who are called out from the world to assemble as the people of God. We see the beginning of, or the first reference to this idea of the church, at least in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew. If we flip, flip over to the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 18, we see Jesus referencing the coming church. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So that word right there, church, the first time we see it referring to the, the New Testament assembly. We could go back into the Old Testament, and we could see the Hebrew equivalency of the word, that they are the assembled, the assembly of the people of God. But in the New Testament, as Jesus is talking about how he's doing this new thing, he talks about this new assembly that is going to assemble and be founded. Now, people, people want to look at this, and we argue theologically, we've argued for generations over what that means. When Jesus says to Peter, hey, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, is he talking about Peter, the person? Well, we know Peter, right? Peter was kind of fickle, and, and he was hot and cold and back and forth. He's not exactly a rock, right? Peter, rocky, is not so rocky, he's more kind of gelatinous. Semi-firm, you know? So if it's not Peter himself, what is it? What's well, the confession that you are... You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. Is that not the confession? Is that not the profession that brings us together? Are we not founded upon Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone that can't be shaken? The answer to the question is, yes, we are. We are founded upon the only true living stone, Jesus Christ, the stone the builders rejected. And Christ says, I'm going to build my church on the truth of that confession that I am the Christ, that I am the Lord, that I am the Son of God, and on that I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against my assembled ones because they stand in my name in my power. Ecclesia, the assembled it is so interesting that the very name that we speak to refer to who we are is rooted in connection and community, founded upon Christ. We cannot be the church. We cannot do church individually. It can only be accomplished together when we assemble 
when we unite under the banner and the name of Jesus Christ. The first glimpses of the early church as we move on into Acts, we, we see a community of believers coming together to pray, worship, and waiting for the Spirit to move. Turn back with me to the book of Acts again. Acts chapter 1, actually. In Acts 1, verse 8, we see Jesus promising his apostles, his disciples, that that there's going to be a spirit. We talked about this just last week, that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them and empower them, that they corporately might be witnesses of all he'd done and all he is. Right, And he says, hey, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and when the Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive the power you need to, to not be the cowards that you were hiding away, trying to create distance between me and you, but instead, you'll be empowered so you can stand strong, and you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. You'll be my representatives. And he tells them, go back, just wait in Jerusalem until that Spirit comes. Okay, so they're going to go to Jerusalem. What do they do as they are waiting in Jerusalem for the Spirit to come? Well, we see that in, in Acts 1, 12 through 17. It says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. And they all joined together, constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So what's the first thing we see after Christ ascends? What's the first thing we see, this new church that has been established, and is going to be established and filled with, what do we see them doing while they're waiting? They're They're gathered, right? They're assembled. Okay, we got to wait for the Spirit. They they don't immediately divide and conquer. They they go and they wait together. And while they're waiting, they pray. They worship. They, 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 They pray for God to do what God is going to do. And together, corporately, they wait for God to move as he said he'd move. Now, in verse 13, where we see the first manifestation of this, we see that there are the 11 OG apostles... Minus Judas, because Judas did the Judas thing. And we see Mary, the other ladies that followed Jesus, and his brothers and sisters. A decent little gathering. We might call that a small group. But, but if we look a little further, we see that it's not just a handful of people. That by this time, they would be what we would consider a medium, medium-large church. One church in our modern economy. Look at verse 15. It says, in those days, Peter stood up amongst the believers, a group numbering about 120. So we see that the group is actually larger than we would assume. About 10 times larger, maybe, than what we would have thought. There, there are 120 plus believers, and they are assembled. How do we know they're assembled? Because Peter stands up among them. And they choose from them one more. But we see the gathering of these believers. So we see this is what's happening before, right? We see before the falling of the Holy Spirit, what are the disciples doing? What is the church doing? They're gathered. 
They're gathering. They are assembling. Let's flip the page and look at at chapter 2. What are they doing when the, the Holy Spirit comes upon them? When the Holy Spirit comes upon them, what are they doing on that day? Well, it tells us in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Well, look, there it is again. The, the, the day the Spirit's coming, they're all together, they're joined together in one place, which makes sense because they've been together since they left Jesus. But here they are together in one place. Waiting for the Spirit to come. And it says in verse 2 and following, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard them in their own language being spoken. So we see the believers together, right? Notice all of the togetherness that is there in chapter 2. We see that on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place. We see that the coming of the Holy Spirit makes a lot of noise, that that it's not just the Holy Spirit comes and indwells the gathered believers, but what happens? The Holy Spirit comes and makes a mess ton of noise, causing a crowd to come together. The movement of the Holy Spirit causes things to assemble. You know, I I posted on Twitter last week that I had gone to visit the, the Asbury Revival that I'd gone to see what was going on. And there was this gamer, I don't even know his name, he had like six followers, but he was trolling me hard. He's like, what, it's not good enough at your church? And I'm like, well, it's great at my church. Things are going great, but I wanted to see it. He's like, well, what makes you think that it's revival? And I was like, Acts 2 seems to be a pretty clear model, right? That the Spirit comes, and when the Spirit comes, it's just crazy noisy, and there's all this noise, and by design, it draws people to come see what's going on. Now, I want to be clear that you come to this revival, and, and, and there is order within the chaos, but there is a sense that when we come together in the power of God, and we are becoming and loving like God has called us to love, and we are moving towards holiness as God has pushed us to move, that the world will hear that. That will be noisy. That will be something that will cause people to take notice, and they will come to see what is going on. And that, I believe, brothers and sisters, is by design. May we not be The bitter brother that stands at the door calling it into question, thinking that what God's doing, this can't be what God's doing because what trash is in there? Now, we would never say it that way, but there are many who are saying it. May we not be the brother who's bitter at the door saying, well, God never did that for me. God never did that for my church. But may we have the courage to enter the doors and see what God might be doing, to see what kind of plan God might have. And maybe God will reveal to us what he is trying to do in our midst as well. But we see this noise, right? And if we were to read all the way through what's going on, Peter does stand up and he delivers a sermon. Peter the coward stands up and boldly delivers this sermon. And it tells us at the end that as a result of this sermon and him serving as a witness for Jesus, 3,000 people came to Jesus on that day. So what happens as a result of the Holy Spirit coming, right? They're gathered together. 
Holy Spirit comes, lots of noise happens, and people gather together, and then Peter presents a sermon and gives an altar call, and 3,000 people stay, right? Their, their, their assembly grows. There's a model there. We see in verses 42 through 47, which I read earlier, what the believers did immediately following the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They gathered together. I mean, how many times? Three times, two, three times we see in verses 42 through 47. But you can't do any of the things that they mention there unless you are together. Right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. You can't fellowship by yourself. In order to have fellowship, you need fellows. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and wonders and the signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together. And they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We could even paraphrase that. And God brought more together. Now, I went to Pastor Nathan this week and I asked him. I said, P, am I trying to make this say something that it doesn't say? Am I overemphasizing the, the point that's here? And he said, absolutely not. And I don't think I am. The togetherness and, and the unity and the community and the connection in the early church, to me, it is clear and apparent how central that was to the early church here in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 1. That we need each other. Now, Bible scholars can and do debate what the verses mean for us today as far as what it means to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and what it means, the breaking of bread in one case and, and the coming together and eating in one another's home. And what's the difference between those things? We could debate the, the semantics and the details of that, but what we cannot debate is the fact that there was unity in the early church, that community mattered to the early church. And that connection was of utmost importance to them. Which should it not be? Christ, Christ didn't just talk about building individual disciples. He did. That, that is part of this. But there is a point at which the individual is made what it is supposed to be in unity with the whole of the body. A nose by itself. You would use the Pauline example, right? A nose by itself is disgusting. Right? A nose on the floor, that's nasty. What happened there? But a nose on the body is of use. We could do that with every part. The, the, the parts of the body are only useful and effective when they are connected to the whole. And we see the early church trying to foster that connection. Christianity, the faith that we claim, is a group project. And we all have a place and a part to play in the body of Christ. We can only accomplish all God has for us. You want to guess what I'm going to say? Together. You could say it loud. That's going to be our word of the day, right? We could do the Pee Wee's Playhouse together. Oh, together. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Connection within the community of faith has purpose. Connection within the community of faith has purpose. 
Why do we come together? Well, we see that both here in Acts 2, 42 through 47, but also later in Hebrews. We come together to prepare to serve as witnesses of the living and risen Christ to the world. It's actually one of the paradoxes of the early church. And I confess to you without apology that I tend to focus as a pastor and an evangelist on the going out. Right? Those that are here on a regular basis know that that is my thing, that we need to go into all the world making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And, and I unapologetically focus on that because I think for us historically as a church, it has been really easy for us to come together. It, it, it's not hard for us to create an us or a we. I do think, though, that we need to focus a little bit on that we right now. That there is a sense where we need to remind ourselves of what the community of faith is for and what it should look like. But it is the paradox of, of the early church and the church as a whole that we gather together as a community in order to be prepared to be sent into the community. We gather together as a community to be sent out into the community. But it's cyclical, right? It's not not a one-way line, in or out. It's both and. We need both. Both are of utmost importance. We see that happening in this early church. We see them coming together with regularity to support one another. And it makes sense that they would need to gather together with regularity because literally everybody else hated them. I mean, when you have hostility around you, you begin looking for some place that's safe. You begin looking for support. In our last decades as, as America... Christianity has been so ubiquitous that we didn't feel the need to come together because everybody's Christians, right? It's one of the things that I think is so toxic about the myth of an American Christian nation. I think it's good that we're beginning to see the dichotomy and we're seeing where the lost is and where the found are. I think for me as a pastor, it makes makes it easier for me to to design how I'm going to speak to make sure I know to whom I'm speaking. But we see the church coming together, searching for, being hungry for, and desperate for community with other believers. It tells us that they devoted themselves to develop, developing connection with Christ together. As I paraphrase, right? We look at verse 42. They're developing them, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and the breaking of bread in prayer. Those are all spiritual exercises. Uh, I would argue that the breaking of bread in, in that uh, context is communion. The, the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup, that, that we are taking into ourselves the body of Christ. You know, that's an interesting thing about communion. You cannot have communion without community. Communion is never meant to be a solo endeavor. It's not possible. Inherent in the word itself, the title is the connection, the coming together, the oneness So they gathered to receive preaching of the word, to to examine the word with one another, to remember what Christ had done for them, and to join together in prayer. That sounds a lot to me like loving God with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. Sounds like they're trying to, to together live out the first half of the great commandment. Loving God with all they are, both as individuals and as a community. It moves on in 
in, in further verses, it says that they devoted, and we see in verses 44 through 46, that they devoted themselves not just to connection and community with Christ, but to connection and community with one another. It tells us that they shared their physical resources. They gave to those among them who were in need. They, they met daily in the temple courts. They got together regularly to share meals. That, to me, sounds an awful lot like loving neighbor as self. Here in, in this passage, we, we see an example of how they live out the great commandment. That the, before they worry about going out and doing the great commission, and actually that's not even true because the Holy Spirit forced them into the great commission, right? To sharing and being witnesses. But, but the next thing we see is them coming together and them fulfilling the great commandments. Loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving neighbor as their self. And, and that is becoming their identity. We cannot fulfill the, these ultimate commandments of God by ourselves. By myself, I can only love myself as self. And I can't love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength unless I am loving neighbor as self. Once again, they, they work together in synergy that, that you can't do one without the other. We see in verse 47 of Acts chapter 2 that their devotion made a difference. It says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I've said before, and I'll say again, I would love to see this be the case. But you know what? I'm going to claim a, a small bit of satisfaction, and I'm going to praise God for the fact that we might not be seeing it daily, but we're seeing it weekly. That's pretty amazing. I can only imagine what it would have been like to, to see it on a daily basis, that people are coming to Christ, that, that the love of the community of believers, as Jesus said in, in John, that, that they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another, that our love for one another and our connection and community is so robust and so full of life that the world looks and says, I want to be a part of that. That we don't have to try to manipulate to get people in the pews. That, that we don't have to be desperate about our financial situation. That we can know that God is going to take care of it because God is working through us to take care of one another. It is important, though, for us to understand that our coming together does need to result in ascending out. I love what Dr. Kevin J. Brown, who is the president of Asbury, said last week. They, they had to draw the revival to a close because of, of issues within the city and infrastructure. And he said, he said this so great. I do not envy him his position. But he said this. I think it's important for us today. He says, we believe that the continued flourishing of the movement of God invites us to commission our community our visiting students and other campus guests from across the world to neighbor-serving, God-honoring work. In other words, it is amazing and of incredible importance for us to gather. But at some point, we also have to go and make disciples. That community point, that is, that is so important, the need to gather together, and the importance of connection with the community of faith and the purposes it holds. We see as we, if we flip over back now to Hebrews, we see in Hebrews that, that our efforts to foster community and connection with Christ actually serves another purpose, that loving God and seeking God and trying to grow, draw close to God will by nature draw us closer to one another. Verses 19 
through 23, we see, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. We notice if you look at that, there, there is inherent in that a coming together. At least spiritually, right? We have to argue that there is and acknowledge that there is a spiritual coming together. That, that drawing close to Christ, drawing our hearts close to Christ spiritually, will create a unifying of our hearts individually. That as we are molded individually into the image of Christ, it will bring us into alignment with one another. There's a coming together. As we see in Acts, we see here as well, there's an emphasis on loving God first with all that we have and all that we are. But again, notice that the wording is communal. That, that everything is plural. Now you could argue with me, well, that's because he's talking to a bunch of brothers and sisters. I, I don't think that that is it. I think that everything is plural because in the, new, in the early church, in, in the first century, community was assumed. Connection wasn't optional. It was, it was the center of how they lived, being in community with others. He says, brothers and sisters, plural, since we have confidence. Not since you have confidence, since we have confidence. Since God has opened for us. Since we have a great high priest, let us draw near to God, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Now these are truths that we must each individually believe in our own hearts and minds. And we must apply them to our own individual lives. But in a spiritual sense, we gather together through our salvation. And we seek strengthening in our faith in order that we together might serve as his witnesses. And the whole illustration hinges on a gathering place, on the illustration of the temple, the image of the temple, and the purpose of the temple. The coming together in pursuit of the same God through the same spirit, through a shared baptism into the same Savior, all serves to draw us together as a spiritually assembled people. Our efforts to draw closer to God should, in spirit as well as in the flesh, bring us together as his church. Now, opportunities to connect in community provide avenues to encourage and urge one another on in the faith. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Notice the, the language there. Spur. That there's a challenging that has to happen when we come together. My good friend Kent Wagner, who wasn't able to be here this morning, I remember one time where I had I'd preached a, a sermon pretty early on here at First Baptist Church, and I had gone pretty hard in the paint. Some, some would have even said that I was a little bit brash. I know that that surprises you. Um, I say it's not brash, that it was a calculated risk. But I, I was, after some people had said some things to me, I was a little concerned. I was like, did I, did I go too far? I mean, I know that I'm always hugging that line, so it's an inevitability that occasionally I'm going to cross it. 
So I asked Kent as we were walking back from Sunday school. I said, hey, Kent, uh, I know you watched the message last week online. I got to ask you, um, in all that you heard, did I go too far? Was that the line? Did I cross the line? Was I too offensive? And Kent put his his hand on my shoulder and he said, Dr. J, there's a time to put your hand on a shoulder and pat someone on the back and say, you know what? It's going to be okay. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. But there's also a time to put a foot to the hind end and say, you need to get moving. That has always stuck with me. And I think it's true. Too often we want to come together as the body of faith and we want to feel good and we want the warm fuzzies. But sometimes we don't need the warm fuzzies. We need someone to push us. We need someone to prod us. We need someone to poke us and, and say, you need to be doing what God has called you to do. There's a need to spur. We, we, the biblical word would be to exhort, to challenge us to follow Christ and to apply to our lives what we say we believe. There is the encouragement, though, we see. And we see both, the challenging and the pushing, but also the encouragement. It says, and we also need to encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching, both need to happen. We need to be willing to push one another to do what needs to be done, but to put an arm around one another and say, it's going to be okay. But that can only happen when we gather together. Gathering together gives us the opportunity to challenge each other, to keep going, to keep seeking, to keep serving, and to stay faithful and to encourage one another that we're going to make it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he says the, the passage that is so often turned and used as a knife and a weapon against us as believers, and I don't mean to do that this morning, but I would be remiss if I didn't say it. He says, do not give up the assembling together of yourselves. Don't give up gathering, but seek opportunities to come together. Perhaps we turn it. We don't use the negative and say, hey, don't." some people may do this, but not you. Don't give up coming together as some people do. But let's focus on the positive side of this, where he says, where he says, but, but look for ways to come together, and all the more as you see the day approaching, not giving up meeting as some are in the habit, but coming together and all the more as we see the day approaching. As the difficulty of life continues to swirl around us and, and the coming of Christ becomes all the more imminent, we need to continue coming together and all the more in the difficulty of the day. Meeting together matters. Again, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 is a holler back to Acts 2, 42 through 47. Within 60 years, they go from meeting together daily to struggling to get people to assemble at times. You know, COVID-19 was revelatory for us in a great many ways here in these United States. It amplified and revealed how divided we've truly become as a culture. And understand what I say when I mean when I say as a culture. I'm not just talking about the culture out there. I'm talking about sometimes the culture in here as well. It revealed the division that is so deeply rooted in our culture. But it also revealed something else. The paradox of COVID is not only did it reveal the division, but it revealed how much we need each other. As much as we tried to maintain connection and to foster meaningful and life-giving community through digital means, it proved to be extremely difficult at best and impossible at worst. We are physical beings. 
There is something about being in a shared space, being in a room together, and for me to be able to look you in your eyes as I offend you, (laughs) rather than looking at a screen. There's something for me, seriously, like you laugh at that, but it is true. When I am willing to stand in front of you and look you in the face and know that you have the chance to come talk to me after the service, it hits a little bit different than when I'm hiding behind a camera. When I'm willing to look you in the eyes and say the hard thing, knowing that I might get pushed back, it demonstrates that I truly love you. It demonstrates that I trust you. And you being here sitting in this room demonstrates that to some degree you trust me and that we trust each other. We, we need to be able to reach out and touch one another. It's crucial to our connection, and I think we learned that through COVID. Perhaps we find ourselves in a sim- similar to season to what we see in Hebrews in the early church. As we emerge from a time where gathering together was difficult. For them, it was due to persecution. For us, it's due to to a pandemic. For months, we, as First Baptist Church and other churches in the community, had to suspend in-person gatherings, such as Sunday school, home groups, choir, orchestra, fellowship meals, and Sunday morning worship services, and the list goes on. We adjusted to what we called our new normal. And unfortunately, coming out of it, we adjusted to new patterns of gathering and new patterns of not gathering. We fell out of previous rhythms of community and connection. But we need each other. Assembling together is important. Connection and community matters. So in this new season, we are making efforts to create And bring attention to opportunities to connect here at First Baptist Church. If you look in your messenger this morning, you'll notice that there are two, not one, but two inserts advertising different points and areas of connection that will be available to you in the coming weeks. You might say to yourself, man, we're releasing a lot of things right now. Trust me, I know. It feels as overwhelming to me as it does to you. In the last few weeks and months, we've brought together the orchestra and begun doing that again. And they are meeting together every Wednesday. We've brought together the choir and they meet together on Sunday nights. We're now getting ready to release all of these new small groups in Sunday schools. This past Wednesday, we reestablished our Wednesday night fellowship dinners that take place every Wednesday night from 5 to 6 for folks to come and gather around meals and have fellowship breaking bread together. Next Sunday, we're going to have our Connect Breakfast as we attempt to inform and invite you to be a part of one of our Sunday school classes. Sunday school meets Sunday mornings from 9.15 to 10.15 a.m. And we're endeavoring to have classes for all ages with a variety of focuses and styles. In the month of March, we're going to begin our spring session of, of Connect Groups. And you've got the registration form there in your, in your messenger And we have a list of groups planned, but I want to tell you this morning that if you're sitting here this morning and you look at that list and you think, you know what, we're missing something and I would love to lead a group on this. We can add a group. Mindy, would you stand? This is Mindy Clay. Everybody give her a quick hand. Mindy is our our coordinator for our small groups. If you have a small group I invite you that we don't have on the list, talk to Mindy or talk to myself and we will work to get you on the list. 
We have the Sunday schools that are coming. Sharon Schrader, would you stand right quick? Sharon is our superintendent. Yeah, you go ahead and give her a hand. And if you would, if you're a Sunday school teacher, would you please stand for me right now? If you're interested in Sunday school, talk to one of these folks this morning. And next week, when we have our breakfast, you'll have a chance to talk to them and to know what's going on in their classes. And if we don't have a class that fits what you think you need, come talk to us. Talk to Sharon, and we'll look into starting another class. In this season at First Baptist Church, connection is very important to us. We're still, I'm going to unapologetically push you out the doors, and I'm unapologetically going to point to our need to be witnesses in the community, and I'm going to unapologetically call us to the Great Commission, but we are going to make all of these opportunities to connect, and what we're doing this morning is not trying to guilt you into coming to all of the things, but it's to invite you to find deepened community and connection. To explore what avenues there are on different nights these small groups are. We have all, the choir meets on Sundays, orchestra meets on Wednesdays. We've got all these different things. And what we want to do is create places for you to come together. We must make meeting together a priority. We must make developing relationships as the body of Christ a priority. Not trying to guilt anyone into going to any specific gathering. I'm not saying it's sinful if you aren't present every time we open the doors at First Baptist Church. I am saying this. Hear me this morning. Everybody looking at my face. We are less without you. The body of Christ is weaker without you. God has called us to this place for a purpose. And if we are going to do all that God has called us to, if we are going to meet our full potential, we need each other. Let us make meeting together a priority and figure out what opportunities match our schedules and seasons of life. We belong together. We're better together. If I might borrow from Captain America, First Baptist Church, assemble. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and grace to us and your calling that you've placed on our lives. Lord, I pray that you would bring us together that we might experience the community and connection that you have for us, Lord, and that we might experience the full manifestation and power of your spirit as we meet together with one another. May we strengthen one another through the truth of your word. May we experience and share the victory that is ours in Christ together. May you fill us with our spirit and continue to bring about your victory in our lives and in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.